Our culture has allowed a lot of things. Uh, kids, kids are the same. Um, their set of circumstances are greatly different. You know, you can tell that kids are the same when you have uh, students in your class and because they're in middle school, they're trying to wear makeup for the first time, some of these little girls, but at the same time, they're crying. They might be picking their nose. I mean, they're just kids, but they're trying to acclimate to something that they're watching around them and trying to emulate because, as we all know, adolescence is about comparison so often. How do I compare with somebody else? What's my identity? And so they do try to do anything to fit in with whatever the culture throws at them. But by and large, you know, I, I think by design, we're, we're the same as we've always been. Our circumstances uh, have created some changes in kids, though, I think, or things that kids uh, have to consider so much earlier now, whether it's gender issues, uh, security issues, whatever those things are. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. All right, we're with Jeff Henderson, dear, dear friend of ours, who's been in public school education for... 37 years and just retired and you've seen a lot and been through a lot and we want to talk about that with you particularly what you've seen here in the last couple years as we record this here in 2022 we had Jeff with us in 2018 for a conversation with him about some things that he experienced then in terms of getting us a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening at school but also your particular experience with a little bit of a clash between faith and public school um, cultures. And so I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. That was a, a really insightful episode we had with you, Jeff. But we're glad that you're here. So a little bit about you. You've just recently retired, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. As of June this last year. So mm-hmm. you're living the dream here. And uh, so give us a little bit of your background in public education and some of your some of your observations about just your entire career working with students in school. Well, I got my start in Houston, Texas, um, in an inner city school is a year round school. My, my first position was interesting because the district had allowed just so much money for special education and they had an overflow class of 34 special ed type students that had tested for special ed but couldn't receive services so they put them into my classroom it was first grade so I did that um, in a year-round school my wife Ann and I um, had an opportunity to come back to Michigan early on and our families are from here obviously so we opted to do that we both taught in Coopersville I again taught first grade she had a, a gifted and talented classroom of fourth graders there and then that transitioned, I had a year off to pursue uh, uh, some, uh, some wrestling um, internationally. And after that, came to Hudsonville, where in 1988 I started. So 37 years overall, starting in Houston, Texas, then finished in Hudsonville. 34 years in Hudsonville, 37 overall. Let's talk about your, 
interaction, particularly in the middle and high school area. So you spent the last how many years with middle school? Middle school, uh, well over 27. Yeah. So what would you say, what's changed with middle schoolers and what's not changed in the last 20 years? Well, the idea that we want middle schoolers to start earlier, it seems like everything that we do in our culture encourages, let's start these kids earlier. So we moved sixth graders to the middle school. Uh, in Hudsonville's history, they had always been elementary school students, which in my estimation was good because then they were at the top of the f feed chain, uh, so to speak. And it was a great year to cultivate their maturity, their young adolescence, get them ready. Um, nonetheless, you know, we put them into middle schools. We called it a middle school, and it was a great design because we had teams of four teachers. And the way that our philosophy worked with it was that we would have a school within a school. So you'd have a core group of four teachers really centering in on a group of students, and you had all those teams through middle school, thus the name. Um, a junior high is a little different in that you put the kids into the building, they could have any teacher, they're not really watched by a group. Over time, because of the growth in Hudsonville, we moved away from the middle school concept, and it became the regular junior high setting, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, you could have any number of teachers, any teachers. It wasn't a team any longer. Um, with the background, though, of, of middle school mentality, I want to tell you that um, I think in Hudsonville we did a great job of trying to zero in on kids uh, in spite of the newer framework and how the school functioned. So did, did you notice over the years, like, middle schoolers being pushed to, to, in essence, what I hear you saying, I think, is grow up earlier and earlier. Did you, did you sense that um, students changed behaviorally, just who they were as, as kids? Did, did kids, some people look at students and they go, well, they're a lot different than they were 20 years ago. Would you say that or would you, what, what's the same, what's different? Our culture has allowed a lot of things. Uh, kids, kids are the same. Um, their set of circumstances are greatly different. You know, you can tell that kids are the same when you have uh, students in your class, and because they're in middle school, they're trying to wear makeup for the first time, some of these little girls, but at the same time, they're crying. They might be picking their nose. I mean, they're just kids, but they're trying to acclimate to something that they're watching around them and trying to emulate because, as we all know, adolescence is about comparison so often. How do I compare with somebody else? What's my identity? And so they do try to do anything to fit in with whatever the culture throws at them. But by and large, you know, I, I think by design, we're, we're the same as we've always been. Our circumstances uh, have created some changes in kids, though, I think, or things that kids uh, have to consider so much earlier now, whether it's gender issues, uh, security issues, whatever those things are. So speak here on two levels. First, I want to ask you why, why you gave your career to teaching and to students. So I want you to share about why that was important to you and why you did that. And then if you could speak, and this, this is a, a generalization here, but if you could speak for most teachers that you've interacted with over 30-plus years, why would you say they're doing this? Why are they giving their career to young people? The reason for my going into public school was directly related to uh, accepting Jesus Christ um, as Savior in 1981. I immediately felt that I had purpose. 
I knew that the gospel was relevant. I grew up without it. It was so shocking and surprising to me that I realized everybody needed it. I knew I wanted to be an educator. And so Matthew 5 became um, the purpose and the mission for me to be the light of the world in the public school classroom. I knew I was called to do that. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted kids to be able to see a Bible in living form, albeit not being a perfect human being, but trying to live that out. Uh, that was my purpose for going into public education and staying in there for 37 years, and it never diminished. That was my purpose up till June 8 last year. And I really think, Jeff, that most teachers have a purpose in their teaching, why, do they, why they want to be in a classroom, why they want to affect students. However, I think culturally and systemically when disappointments and shifts come, that perspective and purpose can get lost unless you're really truly grounded and you stay with the principles that you began with you can become dissuaded you can have another shadow mission you can be uh, burned out as some people say so I've seen over the years a lot of the latter uh, teachers with good intentions being removed from or removing themselves from or lapsing from the initial purpose Obviously, it kind of goes without saying that the last two years have caused a lot of changes in society and in schools with the pandemic. One of the things that we really wanted to kind of get some insight is how has how has the school changed, the culture changed, the the atmosphere changed post-pandemic? Because the pandemic caused changes, how teachers teach, how students learn the the different methods and now you're trying to go back to normal but there isn't that normalcy anymore and so as a teacher how have you navigated that what have you seen change what have you seen become accepted in a sense post-pandemic well i think a lot of it jason deals with the chronology uh, the initial impact i'll never forget you know uh, march 17 when we got the news that School's done. We actually heard it on March 14. By the 17th, we, we were done. And it was almost a little bit amusing. Kids thought, well, and teachers as well, are we going to be out there for three weeks, three months? Well, we all know what happened. We didn't go back. And so in the initial rough up uh, and confusion of what do we do, well, we'll go home. We'll figure out a way to do assignments. I'd have to say I'm kind of proud of how uh, districts, our district, teachers rallied together to figure out how do we do this. Um, some kids didn't have technology at home, especially in our district, so you had to come up with plans and ideas. So initially, when you look back with the frenzy of it all, it was figuring out how can I service these kids? How can we service them? And there was a lot of question marks, especially knowing that technology, internet, the districts went to work trying to figure out how do we navigate this at home because it looks like this could be a while. As it went on, and we realized that this was going to be serious, then we had to take a good look at how do we zoom into homes? What do we make kids responsible for? And every district had their ideas. I think looking back, um, probably anybody I know uh, in education would say, we really didn't think enough early on about keeping kids accountable. One of the greatest things in life is accountability, right? And in education, it's not this uh, stiff arm of you will do this or else. It's the idea that I have daily assignments, I have responsibilities. When I do those, 
my esteem goes up. It's not just about a grade, it's about accomplishing a task. And one of the things we really didn't remember is that every student needed to go home and accomplish tasks. Because of the, uh, the fear factor, because of the concern, I think we raced headlong into, we need to keep everybody emotionally safe. And I don't disagree with that, but we removed the idea of completeness and how important it is to accomplish something every day from that equation. And so then over the past two years, there's been this prevailing wind of, what am I really responsible for? Not only are my assignments just, I check them off because I've done them, they're not really graded for any quality or quantity, but I don't even really have to show up on this Zoom meeting if I don't want to. Um, Google Classroom, Zoom meetings. And so I think we did ourselves a disservice and kids a disservice, and we pulled the understanding of how to be a learner. And I can't emphasize too much how important that is in school. I like to tell kids, you're either a student or a learner. Student walks into the classroom, they sit down, and they go about their daily functions. A learner is somebody who knows that they have a vested interest in what's going on today, how it fits into the future. And I think that's what was lost. When I look back over the past two plus years, the hardship was really, how do I gain back that learning mentality? Even great students lost that. How do I put that back into a family? Because now you talk about families losing the idea, well, you're not accountable for it, so I don't have to check on it with you. So now the, the family sense of what learning means has now been diminished or dismissed. So case in point, last year was the year that we were back in school full time, right? We had masks at the beginning. Those were removed partway through. The hardship was how do I recreate a learning mentality in students? And we saw teachers quit right and left. I saw a statistic uh, before Christmas last year that 795 public school teachers had resigned mid-year. The problem was, how can I help kids to learn? And if kids and families don't believe it's important, then it's, it's really not going to happen. It's more of a hardship than just the understanding of you have to do an assignment. What are some things that you also learned? <clears throat> Maybe it's more mechanical or technique on teaching after going through a year of having to teach through Zoom and through the computer and like there's limitations there, but then you bring the students back into the class and you kind of realize what's necessary, what was something that you've always done and maybe never questioned why. And was there anything like that with, with the group of teachers in your school? Well, that's very insightful. There's many things like that. Uh, one of the things that um, we all learned is how to utilize technology on a daily basis, a nightly basis. Not only did were we able to service kids that were in class and tell them, okay, you go home to Google Classroom and here's all the assignments, all the worksheets, everything you need. You, we began communicating with kids nearly all night long until some of us figured out this isn't really good for a teacher's family life and that was exhaustive. Literally 10:30 at night when a parent was able to work with their student with a with a device would we get emails and have to try to respond to them because that was the time that learning could take place. Um, the double-edged sword was this. 
we learned that there were things that we could do better with technology, but at the same time, we had students that really weren't in the place of being learners, and so they wouldn't jump on and do those things. So it was very frustrating. Um, I think we learned that there were some things that we could let go of, that learning had to calm down, school had to calm down at home, and we had to give more time. That was just the bottom line. Although we used to have deadlines, kids had to relearn what that was all about between being at school, then there was a great population at home, then there was the hybrid, and really learning how to navigate that took a lot of time. What did you see in the difference when students returned? They were, you know, you were out. Because that's one of the things we're interested in here, and, and there's a lot of parents, there's a lot of youth workers, pastors listening to this. What What were the differences you saw in the classroom in terms of, like, their how they were emotionally, how... Um, socially what was what were the differences before and after fear and trepidation seemed to rule the day uh, I, I have a habit of greeting my students at the door and masks are a bigger thing and I'm not trying to make a governmental or political statement at all but masks are a bigger thing than we really ever realized I greet every student at the door, and when they line up with masks, it's hard to see their demeanor and know where they're at. But I could see in their eyes that there was fear and trepidation about the day. Every day, Jeff, and it was, it was disconcerting. It really was because I wanted to be able to help them through that. But when they can't see my face and when I can't see theirs, there's a struggle taking place. But I could tell that the fear and the confusion uh, – moved in a great capacity through the classroom and through the hallways. It was quieter. It was very, uh, I like to have, you know, a vibrant classroom. I mean, when you think of public school and the voices, everybody wants to think of it like youth group, you know, things are happening. That diminished so much that it was scary. When masks were removed partway through last year, it was a learning experience like I've never seen before. Everything was brand new. The confusion was there fresh again, learning people, learning faces. What we know is our physical selves matter so much to kids. The way we present ourselves, when you think about leaders, youth leaders, the way we present ourselves to kids, our posture, our demeanor, our positivity, it all matters. So one of the biggest things that took place last year was the quieting down of emotions and giving kids security back that I'm here for you. When teachers and kids have masks on, it really nullifies security. I can tell them all day that you're secure here, but physically they don't feel it because physically they're covered. When we have the masks down, and I don't just mean that you know, physically, I mean philosophically. When the masks come down, we can be transparent, we can know each other, and that's a beautiful situation. So I think the upshot of what I'm saying is in all of the quietness of feelings and emotions and confusion when that all shifted we were able to grab students by our persona by our positivity and say you're okay this is gonna work I'm right here with you and we're gonna make sure that you're safe and that you have a positive trajectory did you did you feel that that fear lingered on after I mean you went through a full 
somewhat normal school year. I know masks were there at the beginning, but over time, did you see it snap back, or what? What what lingered in students and what left? Did did a lot of the fear stay, or did it diminish? Um, what were some of the other maybe longer term issues that you saw? They were all longer term issues. Fear, uh, the mentality that things could change at any moment. That's Jeff. Probably one of the biggest things was that, but things could change any moment, right? The insecurity of the next hour, the next day, prevailed for everybody. So you had to have a very concerted effort to walk kids into the room and give them a positive experience, reinforce things. If you were going to do it right, you needed to get to desks of students, get to know them, and more than ever, you'd think it's just because of adolescence that sometimes kids hold back, they don't want to be known, but really it was coming out of COVID. Kids didn't dare be, let themselves be known. It was really... Uh, a hard work to try to get through and make breakthroughs with kids just to get to know them and let them know that you're for them and that there is a positive result to the things that are happening and that they could be safe in a classroom. And I can't tell you that 100% of the students by the end of the year felt that way. So let's talk about some of the social things. I know that socially... What my observation is just in general is that it isolated everyone. It kind of separated us. And thinking back to 20 years ago in your early days of teaching middle school students and now, what are the social, are there major social differences? Because one of the things I'm concerned about is will the, all this isolation and with the insertion of technology that can keep us together and yet separated you know where we can connect with our friends online but we might not ever see them as much as we used to physically is there a difference socially between let's say 20 years ago in middle school and today absolutely I think a couple of words that would identify those differences would be fear insecurity and rejection maybe even abandonment the whole COVID um, issue for kids left them with the feeling of, who am I? And being alone, you feel somewhat uh, sidelined and for a lot of kids abandoned. Um, many parents were at home working remote, but many weren't. And kids were at home by and large by themselves, so many of them. So then you think about fear, insecurity, and not that kids were rejected purposefully, but that's the feeling they came away with. That translated socially over the past couple of years to one of the highest escalations of bullying I have ever seen in my life. It is off the charts. And the only thing I can take away looking at it is people have been so abandoned and rejected that what, what's our natural response in the fight or flight? I'm going to fight somebody. And so we've seen it escalate out of insecurity, fear, that rejection being acted out by adolescents who haven't yet learned what are the qualities of life that I could live out to make things better for me and somebody else. So I think socially things change because we're acting out of fear, rejection, and I think parents have been stumbling as well in the home to just get back to their normal life of work, of marriage relationships. 
I don't think it's lost on any of us how much domestic violence and issues at home escalated, alcoholism, all the different types of things we don't want escalated. And so for those to be an issue, then for kids to walk from there into school, we're talking about a storm. As a father, I, I've noticed even when you are talking about you know the reaction to uh, all of this fight or flight and it's an emotional reaction. So they find something, someone to kind of uh, direct that emotion. And as a father, I've, I've noticed instead of trying to stem the, the behavior at the time, that there's usually a root cause. Um, I, I even remember just recalling this year, uh, one of my sons didn't get into the class with the majority of his friends. And uh, there was um, symptoms of something else going on just by how he was talking and interacting with the rest of the family. And instead of getting frustrated and mad, I just went to the source and said, like, what is actually bothering you? And uh, it created a really emotional moment because he was real and I could just sense like you're you're upset about not being in your the class with your friends right and he just broke down and so in that moment it was like I could discipline him for how he's behaving towards everybody or go towards the source and go what's what are you carrying right now on your heart and um, yeah it would and it changed the the rest of the day in a sense but as parents as leaders as as teachers whoever's listening uh, my thought is like as these students are trying to navigate something that they've never navigated before with emotions that they may not be aware of what you know they're they're experiencing and kind of exerting towards other people when you say there's more bullying it's like they don't know how to direct that emotion. Exactly. But are we willing to go, all right, what's what's at the heart? What's going on underneath? Like, let's talk about that instead of just, hey, be kind. You know, that's a that's a solution, but they're not going to be kind if if we're not talking about what's going on under the surface. You're hitting the nail on the head. And now think about the issue at school where normally you're teaching 25 to 30 kids your teachers are in the middle of lessons and then things like that come up the insides of a student starts start to churn I know my friends are down the hallway and I'm not with them and maybe there's some kind of behavior issue what we normally have time to do is deal with the behavior and not the root and that is systemic in any mass organization especially public school I think schools have tried to put in programs to mitigate or to navigate that but a program never deals with what you said and that's the heart and unless we can take the time to get to the heart of where a student is whether it's in school having them stay after class a minute taking a minute during class or in a youth group hey I noticed something those conversations going to the heart are always the things that can possibly change like you saw with your son yeah and that conversation wasn't 30 minutes it literally was only a few minutes 
and it was just enough for him to understand like somebody sees me and 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 understands what I'm carrying right now and it allowed him it didn't change his circumstance right it he still wasn't in the classroom with all his friends he had to go through the the school year knowing that he is feeling like he's going to be missing out but the perspective was changed because he was able to say internally maybe not like you know audibly or you know he may not have recognized it but to be like all right somebody cares and are we willing to step in and go hey we care instead of trying to mitigate the the reaction to what's happening under under the surface well you're really exposing what needs to happen in any relationship but I could narrow down all of the, you know, Maslow's theories of <laughs> hierarchy of needs to two things, and you just hit the nail on the head. Every student wants to be seen, and they want to be heard, and they would like somebody, no matter how much they hide it, to reach in and help them with that core issue, but they don't even know how to unleash it. So even just a few moments to say, that behavior went like this, but What's going on? And you might have to take some time to dig through, but I think every person wants to reveal, well, actually what happened at home today was, Jason, the number of times I've had a conversation with a student and the issue was not the issue at hand. It was something that happened with friends or at home. That's almost, I'm going to tell you, probably 90% of the time is the case. What's really going on? If we could walk with that prevailing idea that would save us a lot of issues, just going to the heart initially. And that's really what you've done as a teacher, knowing you for so many years. The, the approach that you have done it as is, is going under the surface, that you recognize that it's not the behavior in the classroom that you're trying to deal with. You're trying to go to the heart of the student. And that's what I love about you as a public school teacher and yes, you are a Christ follower, but there is this, you are, are speaking the gospel, you are living the gospel in the classroom by going, I, I care about you because I recognize something's happening. And usually, it usually goes to that deeper issue that, yeah, something happened at, at home and, and I can't focus now or whatever it may be. And that's what I... I've heard story after story after story over the years of how you have approached the classroom like that. So thank you. You learn a lot over the years and you learn your own hard wiring and how to be a better listener. I'm sure you gentlemen feel that way in your marriages. <laughs> how do I listen? And I think that can cultivate in us uh, better listening. I've, I've learned a lot more over the years. Yeah, just, just, Speaking out of turn here for a second, Jeff, how much we love you and are grateful for people like you in this world and in schools. It means a lot. For, for those of us here that are, yeah, been long-term working with, with students and adolescents, I mean, you are at the top of my list in terms of my personal heroes and knowing the battles that you faced and been there in schools. And, and um, Thanks. So let's talk about... Um, parents and school boards and content for a minute mm -hmm. <laughs> so oh <boy. laughs> obviously there's All been right. a lot happening yeah. in that arena um, speak to the concerns of parents 
that are listening here and those of us kind of on the outside, so to speak, of schools wondering what's going on in there, should parents be involved to the extent that they are? Where, where do you see the, the good, the bad, the ugly with what's happened in the last two years? Well, that's a good trio right there, the good, the bad, the ugly. The good, I think parents have stepped up looking at what's happening culturally and the influx of ideologies that are coming from all kinds of sources. Uh, one of the main things that's happened uh, locally to districts is the idea of what's the content of a book, at what age should students be exposed to uh, sexuality, what kind of sexuality. And I like the idea that it seems like parents are taking back the reins on these are the things I want and I don't want. If we look historically in our area, there's a conservative route. But even if you're not on the conservative side, what should go into an adolescent mind? I watched a student last year have a choice on a book, and I tried to dissuade the student who was a 12-year-old because the book had every chapter was an affair a woman had, very sexually explicit. And because we have choice, that student could choose the book. And if the parents are okay with it, that student can read it in school, which, of course, then could influence other students, albeit the number one influence is that student's mind. I can't censor the book, per se, but I can counsel the student. And I asked the student to make sure that parents knew about that book. I would hope that parents were looking into every item that a student carries with them because we know at a root level that we're in a battle and the enemy would like nothing better than to infiltrate our minds with the very things that shouldn't be there. So I am all for parents taking back the reins and saying, first of all, what are my students exposed to and what are my students reading? I'm not a conspiracy theorist enough to say that I believe that schools are trying to infiltrate my kid's mind with a variety of immoral things. I think they've been made available, whether by default or by purposefully. So the onus is still on the parents to say, what do I want for my students to have in their minds and what shouldn't be there? And if a district is allowing certain things, this is America. We should always, in the correct fashion, challenge any status quo that we believe, especially as Christians, is not fitting for our kids or for our families. So again, I think parents taking back the reins saying, you know, I want to look into things. I think that's great. I don't think we ought to do it like bulls in a china shop, bashing everything without understanding. And yeah, I've seen that too, and I don't agree with it. To be honest with you, that was disconcerting to me last year is that many of my colleagues, myself at a couple points, we were bashed by people without understanding. And that never does anything but separates, never brings people together at the table. So I think too, while parents should take the reins back, they need to do it in a way that's fitting both professionally and uh, as Christians. As a, as a parent going through a year of Zoom and sitting and listening, and it gave an insight into the classroom and what's being taught. And, and there was no issue necessarily like, oh, well, this is not a topic that I'd want my kid to learn or anything like that. It, all appropriate stuff but it allowed parents 
to kind of peek in and go, maybe I need to be a little bit more active in, in looking at what my kids are learning and looking into the books that they're reading and all that stuff. But, um, it allowed me to kind of go, yeah, I need, I can't just hand over my kid to a, a public school and expect everything to be okay. Like there is not this Christian standard necessarily at a public school. There may be at some places, but it's, I wouldn't expect them to be like, yes, we're going to live by this standard. It may have been 30 years ago, but times have changed. And yet as a parent to be more engaged in what's being taught, um, because, you know, something might be said and a teacher might, might handle a situation where it's like, all right, that's not necessarily how I would have handled it. And it gave me an insight of like, all right, how should I be proactive as a parent to just, hey, when this topic is discussed, you know, what would you, what would you say? Or, or what's some of the beliefs that we as Christ followers, as Bible believing Christ followers, how would, how should we react to that type of content? You know, that kind of stuff, instead of just blindly accepting whatever's being taught in, in the classroom. What's been a great opportunity for parents like yourself to jump back in and say, I think I need to be a little bit more hands-on than I've been. And that's just a great aha coming out of not only COVID, uh, which made parents have to be a little bit more hands-on, but also culturally and politically right now with the things that certain groups really want in schools. Uh, if you keep um, reading some of the cultural things happening around the nation, uh, it's a little bit alarming what some places are allowing and wanting kids to read and invest their time in. So I think as never before, parents have to be aware not only of what's happening in the classroom, but what is the cultural shift and the wind going on that would allow things in. But I think there again, there's a way to bridge that without being an offense. I think it's important to take a strong stance on what you believe but knowing that not everybody believes that, there's also a way to come to the table to talk about it. And that's what we do. It's, it's not, I'm not going into the classroom and fighting the teacher and saying, you shouldn't be teaching this. I, I have conversations at the table. And it's like, I realize, I, just last week, we talked about the, the curse words that we've heard <laughs> and the ones that they know and they don't know. And, and you mean at home or at school? the ones that they've learned from your wife from my wife no okay um but it's it's like we we're wanting to just discuss what's going on in their minds and what they've learned and that one conversation around the dinner table was about the curse words and it was like yeah i know this word and then you know my younger son is like yeah i know this word and then my youngest daughter is like What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't try to replicate those words. No, no. We weren't actually using the words. We, You know, you got to use the the first first letter. First letter. But then, you know, my daughter's like, what's that word? <laughs> you know, Jason, those are so important, those moments for, for parents to take with their kids. And I know you gentlemen, I know you've done that all, all through your lives and with youth and, and a variety of situations. I think some of the 
vitriol coming from good, well-meaning parents is happening because, again, coming out of COVID and all, you know, you go back a couple of years and all the political upheaval, all the global upheaval, I think parents, too, have to settle back into, I can be a decent human being. I know everybody's been thrown into the shredder, so to speak, and feels a little beat up. But coming out of it, everything that we're talking about is an opportunity with a student. It's not a problem that I'm presented with that I have to navigate. It's an opportunity to go deep onto the inside and to start to steer where things go. That has to be true for districts, for individual teachers, and for parents, and especially youth workers who are now catching kids coming from home, coming from school, coming from their groups of people, their sports, and coming into a place where we have an opportunity because the scripture is still and will forever be true, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. And to me, this is the best time in our culture to be able to say, well, if this is coming up, then Father, you have answers, and I want those answers, and I want to be, be able to infuse them into the lives of every one of these students, these guys and these girls. What do you make of the, the demographic shifting that's happening with, you know, I've been tracking, like, in our state of Michigan and many other states, the number of homeschool is up to about 9%. It was about 3 before covid now it's up around 9. I'm seeing other states. I think Oklahoma is right around 20%. What do you how do you feel about that as a teacher and what do, what do you sense that's happening presently and long term with the demographic shifting of of schools mainly homeschool versus public school education? Well, I think Jason just hit on it. You know, we're taking back the reins not just in our homes with our kids and conversations, but the overall education. I think parents have begun to see public school maybe isn't the entity it was when I was there. It's really taking a radical shift, and I would have to agree with that. There is a shift taking place right now that I don't particularly like with respect to philosophies that are immoral and unethical. So what I see happening is homeschools being grabbed onto, uh, people becoming more interested, more involved, and parents saying, you know, maybe I just need to do this with by myself, but albeit with homeschool, you're not by yourself. There are great homeschool groups and units in every region in the U.S. I like seeing it, not just because we started in the Henderson family homeschooling our kids. They moved to public school and Christian school, but I think anytime a parent can directly teach a student exactly what their family values are, their Christian values, that's a premium. I, I know that not everybody feels like they can do that. And maybe some people will gravitate to Christian schools, to charter schools, uh, and maybe even back into the public schools, but I don't think this shift is going to change. I think this is going to last, and I like that it is because when you go grassroots and you start regrowing the fibers of morality and the core of what a family can be, I think that's solid. One more question. Speak to church leadership about schools and teachers. What can we do to encourage and support our, especially our teachers that are believers in public schools? The things that you did last year, sending gift cards, 
uh, notes, those are little surprises in the day that are really key. There are hundreds and hundreds of situations that arise for, for teachers every single day, for administrators. Um, they're hard. These are the hardest days of education for any teacher, any administrator that's ever been in the field. For me, in my 37 years, the last two were absolutely the hardest, without question. So any little notes, um, encouragement, things that can be done, I think we all know that encouragement is the wind in our sails. When things are going hard, to have a word of encouragement or something that happens that buoys you in the midst of some kind of storm, in their daily storms, that's key. So I think churches knowing that not just teachers but parents parents are so beat up right now between work and family and school i think it is the greatest time for churches to rally around to build those small groups to encourage people to have extra things events that they do do them for teachers to be sure and to keep fanning the flames of what we're called to do i think the church needs more encouragement right now than ever before Well, thanks, Jeff, for joining us on the Thought Factory. We appreciate your insight into the school and as a teacher and as a friend as well, doing battle. I mean, there's, Jeff said it earlier, but you're one of the heroes in my life as well. And so appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Well, I just respect and appreciate you guys. You've gone after the youth in the U.S., um, not just West Michigan, but all over the United States. I know that the church is on your hearts and the youth being the next upcoming church matters to you. You've always made it um, the focus of your ministry and your efforts. I think the only thing I'd add to that is um, what you've done with prayer probably needs to be the forefront of what we all understand and do at this point to reclaim and to advance the cause of Christ. Thank you very much. God bless. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.